Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. My name's Andy, I'm the senior pastor here. Um, and it is a real treat to have you with us. If you're joining us uh, online at home this morning, uh, you're really welcome if you're catching up later this week. Uh, shame on, no, I'm just kidding. Um, kind of. Um, I'll leave that there. Um, I want to say a really special welcome to my in-laws who are with us this morning, uh, all the way from South Carolina. They have quarantined, don't panic. Um, it is wonderful to have you, uh, have you with us. Um, also, I wanna say thank you to those of you who've been praying for us um, as we've been recruiting uh, Laura's maternity cover and our family party coordinator. Um, I'm not just saying this, but we were um, so impressed by the quality of candidates that applied. And uh, Yvette and Stu and I and Chris had a, a challenging day last Wednesday as we interviewed. But it is my privilege to tell you that the wonderful Lauren Jackson has got Lou's maternity cover. You can give Lauren a round of applause. And Cherith Loper is going to be our <laughs> family party coordinator. Um, so... We will be praying for both of them over the coming weeks, uh, but thanks so much for joining us in prayer as we uh, went through that process together. And I just want to really encourage you to join us this Wednesday night, either in person or online, as we continue to pray for all that's coming this uh, summer. We're super, super excited um, about that. If you have a Bible, why don't you open to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Um, I'm going to read from verse... 15, um, John 21, starting in uh, verse 15, Let's, we pray, come Holy Spirit. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? 
This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that, this, that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and reveal Jesus to us through it. Help us to hear your voice today, we pray. We need you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you will be familiar with the words of the great Scottish philosopher, Billy Connolly. He famously said once, there is no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. In truth, I'm quite sure when he said that, he was actually quoting one of his old fishing pals. It's funny how that often happens to famous people, that they get credited for all kinds of wisdom, that they just happen to be the person that shared it with the rest of the world. Anyway, most of you know that I love being outside. In my opinion, everything is better outside, but only whenever you are prepared. It doesn't take a genius to understand that the, the way you approach a walk in Castle Wellen is different to the way you would approach a rock climb perhaps in the Mourns, which is different to the way you would approach the north face of Ben Nevis in Scottish winter, which of course is different to the way you would approach the jagged peaks of the Mont Blanc Massive above Chamonix. I know for many of us, the last year has kind of felt like we set out for Castle Wellen and have somehow found ourselves halfway up Mont Blanc utterly exposed and completely ill-prepared for what was going on around us. COVID has left us feeling a little bit like we are outside and we are not in the right clothes. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says there are two types of people in the world. There are wise people and there are foolish people. And when it came to COVID, the wise people were those who built their house on a firm foundation. And when COVID came and blew against our house, those houses stood. Didn't mean it was easy, but the houses generally stood. But for many of us, what we've discovered, if we're really, really honest, is the foundations that we have built our lives upon have been exposed over the last year to be more like sand than rock. The American Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates right now, this statistic shocked me when I read it this week, right now in America, over 40% of adults are diagnosable with an anxiety disorder, depression, or some form of addiction. Over 40% of 
diagnosable with some form of anxiety disorder, depression, or addiction. And before you jump to, I know Americans are mental, sorry. <laughs> There's not a mental health professional in this province at this time that would not say they are utterly overwhelmed. Many aren't even able to add people onto waiting lists. One really well-known psychologist recently said this, COVID was the perfect storm to annihilate human thriving. COVID was the perfect storm to annihilate human thriving. I promise this gets better, okay? Just in case you're all going on, it's a bit depressing for a Sunday morning. You see, God created us with some basic things that we require in order to flourish. Essentially, relational connectedness, routine or structure, and agency or freedom. In order for human beings to thrive, they need a deep sense of relational connectedness. They need some form of routine or structure and agency or freedom. People in nursing homes with a deep sense of relational connectedness have a drastically reduced or lower occurrence of heart attack and stroke. Throughout creation, you observe structure, rhythm, and order, the flow of the tide, the rhythm of the season, and a sense of freedom to choose to do this today or that tomorrow. Proactivity is a massive part of what it means to be mentally healthy, to say, I'm going to choose to go and do this thing or that thing. I wonder when you think about the last year, what has it done to your sense of relational connectedness, to your sense of routine, rhythm, and structure, and your ability to choose to do this thing or that thing. COVID has been the perfect storm to annihilate human flourishing. The reality is that we have been asked or told by the government for the last year to behave like we're depressed, to stay at home and not see anybody. It's one of the first things in pastoral work that we look for when someone's coming to us and they're a bit low or down. Who are you connected to? What does your life rhythm kind of look like? And if people were presenting to us with, well, I don't see anybody and I don't leave the house, straight away our sense of risk and most likely referral to some sort of professional is on the table. covid blew the house down. That's just the reality. Now, that may not be totally true for you, but that is absolutely true for our culture and society. People are just a bit mad and angry. I'm not doing it anymore. You know what's missing from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7 about the wise man and the foolish man? What happens if the house gets blown down? 
Like it's, it's all well and good to say, you know, there's a wise man, he built his house on the rock, and when the storm comes, that house will stand. And the foolish man, he builds his house in the sand. When the storm comes, that house gets blown down. But it's really unhelpful, Jesus, because we're kind of post the storm. And for many of us, the house is blown down. What on earth do we do now? What do we do with our lives? We can talk all day about what we should have done. We can look back with regret or even shame, but neither are much good to us right now. This morning, we are starting a new journey as a community, a new teaching series, but I can't help but feel this is an awful lot more significant than just a new summer teaching series. We're calling the conversation that we're going to have uh, through the summer, we're calling it the rebuild. The rebuild. This is a, a critical, critical moment for all of us. You know what's really hard about critical moments in our lives? They rarely feel like critical moments. You look back on them and go, jeepers, that was a massive decision I made. I had no idea. In 2006, I sent an email to a random guy in America inquiring about a program that he had connected with the university and his church. Just off the cuff one morning, fired this email off into whatever that world is. And he replied. And two months later, I was living in Los Angeles and I met Dana and here we are now. I had no idea the significance of that email in my office that morning when I was just random. Critical moments rarely feel like critical moments. This is a critical moment. In years to come, summer 2021, we will look back on at the choices we made as we emerged out of COVID. And the choices we make now matter more than the choices we make at other times in our lives. That may not seem overly fair. It's just the truth. It's a critical moment. I know there's still huge uncertainty about the easing of restrictions, news of new variants, vaccinations. There's a hefty dose of political dysfunction here in Northern Ireland, economic vulnerability, rock stars and health ministers are trading insults. And in the midst of it all, I sense the Holy Spirit whispering to the church of Jesus, it's time to rebuild. It's time. It's time to rebuild. It is time to lay down our distractions, to take off the yoke of fear. It is time to rebuild. I know for many of us, it's not so much that the storehouse is empty, it's that it's in ruins. There is more apathy and more fatigue and more numbness in our culture than I have ever known before. There is deep hurt, there is a huge sense of pain and loss. I know many of us are really, really tired. I've never heard more people in my life dream about holidays. Listen, I, I don't want to be a, a prophet of doom this morning. I need to tell you something. Pro holidays don't solve your problems. 
I'm for them. I'm so for them. I wish I could get one this summer. But holidays are not magic bullets. The small choices we make every day in our lives are what matter most. You know, I have struggled more in the last few months with physical illness than I have in the last few years. And you know what I've learned after spending a few days in bed? When the sickness is past, it's very easy to want to stay there. You feel tired and lethargic. Staying on the couch is what you want, but it could not be further from what you need. Friends, it's time to rebuild. But here's the thing. We are not rebuilding what was here before. We are not rebuilding what was here before. This is not some journey back to a former glory. I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't that glorious. It's time to rebuild, but out of the rubble of COVID, we are building something new. Let me ask you a question. Whenever you think about a church or the Christian life, how would you define success? A church is successful if dot, dot, dot. Think about that quietly in your head for a second. And then think about what churches get our attention? Which ones do we listen to? Which ones seem to be the loudest online? Of course, there are so many nuanced answers to how we would answer the question of a church's successful if. But one of the most common ones is a church is successful if it's big. Now, I know, particularly if you've been around Jesus in church a little while, you'll know that that's not really supposed to be the right answer. But somewhere in our heads and our hearts, we actually function like that is the right answer. Even if the kind of way we articulate that is, well, I mean, there's loads of people there that must be doing something right. For, for many of us, most often, it's the most basic, certainly not the only, but it is the most basic metric. If it's big, they must be doing something right. Something good's going on there. There's loads of people. Maybe the pastor just is good at manipulating people. As we rebuild, there are two metrics and only two metrics that we want to prioritize. How much do we love God? And how much do we love people? Those metrics are hard. Those metrics cost. Those metrics are inconvenient. Uh, Those metrics are hard to flip and measure. It is so much easier for me to count statistics of bodies. How many people were here? Was there more than last week? Brilliant. I wonder for you, 
in this moment, in June 2021, could you put your hand on your heart and say, I love God more this time this year than I did this time last year? Do I love people more? And hold on, this is really important. Um, when I say love people, I'm not talking about your nana. I'm talking about the people that annoy you. I'm talking about the people that inconvenience you. I'm talking about the personalities in your work that do your flipping head in. That's the people we got to measure our love for. Because everyone else is easy. Are we growing in our love for God? Are we growing in our love for other people? There are loads of other metrics that matter. Of course there are. But there are none, according to Jesus, that matter more than those. Do we love God? And do we love people as we rebuild corporately and individually those priorities must matter more to us than any others. How much do we love God? And how much do we love people? In John chapter 21, we read it a few moments ago, we find somebody whose house has blown down. Peter's house has blown down. Peter liked to think of himself as the most faith-filled, the most courageous, the bravest of all of the disciples. He was the first to announce when Jesus started to talk about his death that if you've got to go there, Lord, then we are going too. And Jesus told him before the night's done, when it all kicks off, when I get arrested, before the night is over, you will have denied me three times. And Peter can't even begin to fathom it. He's like, no way. And of course, when Jesus gets arrested and the storm comes and his world gets flipped upside down and he gets asked if he was one of those who was with Jesus, Peter can't even bring himself to admit that he was associated with Jesus. Three times it happens, and after the third time, he hears the rooster crow, and he remembers what Jesus said. And the text earlier records that he runs out of the city in pieces. Have you ever betrayed somebody you loved? There's a heartbreak associated with that that's maybe not like anything else you'll ever experience. Peter runs out of the city. He's heartbroken. He weeps. And eventually, after Jesus is resurrected and there's all these rumors of what he said actually happened and what's going to happen next, it's really interesting. The Gospels don't record that Peter waited in Jerusalem knowing that Jesus was going to restore all things. Peter says, I'm going back to my former life. And he was fishing. His house has blown down. And Stu taught on this last week where he's been fishing all night. He's exhausted. 
hasn't caught anything, and then they see somebody on the shore, and he calls to them, have you any fish? And they're like, well, no, we haven't. And the guy on the shore says, just throw your nets out on the other side, and they do, and the nets are bursting with fish. They realize it's the Lord, and he bails out overboard and swims ashore, and Jesus is there. He's meeting him in this place where his life is in ruins. And I love it. Jesus doesn't meet him with a rebuke. He doesn't meet him with a how could you. Jesus already knew. He said, look, I know what's going to happen here. When the storm comes, your house is not going to stand. Jesus knew. If you find yourself here this morning watching online or listening back and you go, my life feels like it's in ruins. Jesus knew. He knows. There's no point pretending. And I love the humanity of Jesus. As Peter ends up on the sand at his feet, there's no theological discourse. There's no call to repentance or confession. Jesus just says, how about breakfast? And they go and sit around this fire where Jesus has cooked breakfast and he feeds Peter. He just feeds him. You're wrecked. You're ruined. (laughs) You're in pieces here. Have some food. And then the rebuild begins where Jesus looks at him and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Everything else in our lives flows from how we answer that question. Not are you frustrated with how church looks right now. Not are you struggling to get back to the building. Not are you kind of wrestling with, well, what was the point of all that anyway? And why do I go to church? And what's that for? And There's loads of those questions that frankly are a distraction to the more important question, which is when God appears in front of us and says, before we talk about anything else, do you love me? Do you love me? And I I love what's happened to Peter in his life because there's no bravado anymore. There's no overstated faith. There's no hype or adrenaline. He just goes, you, you know, you know. Friends, when the Lord asked me those questions, Andy, do you love me? It's very easy f- for, for me to go, uh, I really, really want to. I really hope my life looks like I do. I want that to be true, Lord, but actually, there's a much more humble, a much more vulnerable, a much rawer way to answer that question, which is like, yeah, Lord, you know. My life doesn't look like it sometimes. But Lord, you know. Before we go anywhere else, Before we think about rebuilding anything else, this journey begins with us privately, individually, face-to-face with Jesus, answering the question, do you love me?
And if the best you can muster is Jesus, I want to, that's a brilliant answer. James, will you guys come on back up? The rebuild begins here and now. It doesn't feel like a critical moment, right? Like it, it feels like many other weird church moments. Lots of eyebrows, lots of masks, socially distant. But the reality is when God comes to us and asks us the question, do you love me? Our response to that can change absolutely everything. We have so much we want to talk about this summer as we move deeper into this idea of rebuilding. But we would be totally foolish and remiss to not sit in this moment for a while. Face to face with Jesus, allowing him to ask us the question, do you love me? If you're able, will you stand? As the band, I'm going to pray in just a second, but as the band lead us, I would love you to um, just let that question sit in your spirit for a moment. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Holy Spirit, come now. Come. Lord, we confess that COVID blew the house down. But we hear you say it's time to rebuild. So come now and confront us with your love. Just as the band lead us, I want you to hold that question. If it's helpful, open your hands in front of you. I want you to hold that question from Jesus. Do you love me? Friends, I don't want you to rush. You might need to hold that question for a day. You might need to hold that question all week. Hold that question before Jesus. Give him your most honest, vulnerable, raw response. This is the only place that we can truly rebuild from. Lord, we wanna, we wanna say sorry for making this about anything but you. But music or buildings or gatherings or atmosphere or stories or... But we pray that 
we would become a community that loves you first and loves people with the same passion. Come, Holy Spirit, rebuild your church, rebuild our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.